welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. How you guys doing this morning? Come on. We got some energy in here. I love it. Uh, who's, who's pumped that it's fall? It's starting to be fall. Come on. Anybody? We got football coming up. Pumpkin Spice, I.O., me and, me and Luke Chafin are big Ohio State Buckeye fans. Any Buckeye fans in here? Probably not. Hey, I'm excited to preach. Um, I believe that God laid a message on my heart. And then next service, you didn't know, but our campus pastor, Kirk Graham is preaching. Who's excited to hear Kirk? Come on. It's going to be awesome. And then six o'clock service, Pastor Ben Cruz over here is preaching. Come on. It's going to be great. Also, if you didn't know, Pastor Kirk is leading worship for six, so come back. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Hey, I want to take a moment um, to also honor Pastor Luke. I moved here two years ago, for those that you don't, who don't know, uh, moved here two years ago from Ohio, and I didn't know what I was doing. I, I knew my wife, Emma, I knew a few other people, um, but I came in and, and Pastor Luke, he's my age, but he's taught me so much throughout the last two years and he has more passion to reach the city than any, anybody I've ever met. And so can we just give it up one more time for Pastor Luke, enjoy. Awesome. Um, the scripture I'm gonna read right now is found in Philippians chapter four, six through nine. It should be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, Please turn to that. It says this in the message translation. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let God know your concern. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, I'd say you'll do best by filling your mind, filling your mind and meditating on things true, on things noble, things reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not to curse, put put into practice what you've learned from me, What you heard and saw and realized, do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. If I could title this message, like Pastor Kirk said, all three of us are going to preach on it. I'm going to call it, Open the Door. Open the Door. And you think about doors, right? I knew this was the theme of the message. And doors are things that you many times overlook, but doors are everywhere. You know, there's many different types of doors as well. There's wooden doors, there's glass doors, there's revolving doors, right? I just began to think of all these doors, right? There's doors that, that mean something. For me, I remember exactly how my, my door at home looked like. I could picture it in my mind. You could probably picture it in your mind. What, what does the, your, your door at your house, your home, the place that you grew up looks like? It means, it means something to you. So you walk up. Right, you walk to this door and you're, you're at home or maybe the door at work, it, it means something. So doors have value, they mean something. There's doors that you wanna walk through in life or just physically wanna walk through doors. I think about, I played sports. I remember walking through the door of the locker room, going onto the basketball court. It was, it signified something for me. I was excited, I, you know, this is my passion, I love it. But then there's doors 
that you don't want to walk through, right? For me, when I was in seventh grade, um, when I was in seventh grade, I, I never really went through a, a phase where I was like a, a, like a rebel or a bad child. I was always like a goody two-shoe. You know, Pastor Kirk always talks about he had moments of rebellion. Hey, you're the one that's... Moments, I never really had that in my life. I kind of was, you know, I had moments. I didn't have everything all together, but I always, I never wanted to get in trouble. I never got a detention once in my life. Like I, I wanted, I was on the straight and narrow. I wanted to be a good child, you know? And one time um, in seventh grade, a nervous little kid, haven't hit puberty yet, so I'm just trying to figure out my life. And the, the words that you don't want to hear come over the loudspeaker at school. Ben Hoare, please come to the principal's office. Ben Hoare, please come to the principal's office. And I began to panic. And I, I'm just sweating and like just hot. And I, I go down to the principal's office and the principal was not a friendly looking guy. He was bald, about 6'3", 250 probably. He begins to yell at me and just start yelling. Why did you pick the, the fight on the bus? Like, well, you, you just had to wait a little. And I'm thinking, my, I'm like, I'm nervous because he's yelling at me. But also, I'm thinking, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do this, you know. But I, I can't stand up to the principal, right? That's not right. So I'm, he's yelling at me, yelling at me. Finally, the secretary walks in. And they say, hey, uh, you got the wrong person. Um, ends up, I, I grew up in a small town in Ohio. Ends up, there was somebody in seventh grade, also named Ben Hoare. What are the odds? That's not a normal name if you didn't know. And there's two people, Ben Hoare's not related. And so from that moment, it scared me straight. I thought, I don't want to ever walk through that door ever again, right? That principal's office, you don't want to walk through that door. And today I want to talk to you about an invisible door, a door that you don't think about, you don't see, and it's the door in your mind. Have you, ever, have you ever gotten something new and then you see it everywhere? When I was 15 years old, my, my grandpa told me that he was going to buy me a car when I graduated high school. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. End up thinking about, okay, what, what is the car I want to get? I decided I wanted to get a car that was unique, something that a lot of people didn't have. So I, I got a Chevy Cobalt. At the time, not a lot of people had it. So I remember driving up to get my Chevy Cobalt. I get it. And I'm excited. I'm like, not, not very many people have this. None of my friends have it. I'm going to drive back. And in that moment, I remember driving back about 45 minutes. And I saw literally 20 black Chevy Cobalts. And I was like, what is going on? And this happens all the time to me. I, I try to get the new fashion thing, right? I wear new jeans, whatever I wear. I'm like, oh, I don't think a lot of people have these. Then I come to church and three of the people on the staff are wearing those jeans. And I'm like, Shoot. Right, this happens all the time. And the reason, I was doing some research, the reason why this happens is because there's something in your mind. It's called the reticular activating system. AKA, it's the doorkeeper in your mind. So there's thousands of things coming at you every day, right? There's thousands, you, we live in a fast-paced world. There's thousands of things that are coming at you, sounds, sensations, different things. And what the reticular activating system does, what the doorkeeper does, it shuts the door on the things that you don't value. It shuts the door on the things that you may want to overlook and it opens up the door to the things you value. And so for me, I did not value the Chevy Cobalt. I didn't value my new jeans. But when I got it, it started to become, okay, this is, this is something I have. So then now I notice it more. And so for me, when it says in Philippians chapter four, verse six, it says, if you want to displace worry in your life, then think upon these things. 
So begin to think as a Christian, I want to focus on the things God wants me to focus on, right? I want to open up the doors to the things that God has me to open up to, the things that he says throughout the scriptures. These are the things that you need to value as a Christ follower. I want to continually every single day, as if I'm looking in the mirror, right? As if I'm looking in the mirror and I'm looking, these are the things I think that we need to remind ourselves of every single day. And I think there's things, there's thoughts that the enemy is throwing at us. There's thoughts that the world is throwing at us that we need to close. We need to take captive of those thoughts. The mind is a very powerful thing. It's something in this world that we don't talk about a lot, but every single person has dealt with it one time or another. Did you know that 1980, America spent $2.4 million on anxiety medication, anxiety therapy, stress therapy. Then 17 years later, we spent $44 billion on anxiety medication. And then now 2017, you can only imagine what it is, $201 billion on anxiety medication and anxiety therapy. This is something we deal with, right? There's something in our mind, right? And I, the mind is the leader of your actions. We talk about actions, we compare actions, but the mind is the leader of it. And so if you can open up your mind to the things you need to think about, the things you need to focus on, then it'll seep into your heart and out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So I met my wife for the first time two, three years ago, and I looked at her and I said, okay, I like what I see, right? It's in my mind, okay, I, I've never met this person before, but I'm really liking what I see. So it's in my mind. And then I get to know her a little bit better. I say, okay, I really like it. These things are lining up, things are lining up. And eventually, as I pursue her, as I date her, it gets to my heart. And then, okay, I think I love her. And then I begin to act that way, right? It starts in your mind. And so for me, if we can focus on the right things, then we're going to begin, begin to, to do, do more than we ever thought we could. I think about the athletes of the world, Kobe Bryant, one of the most focused people that I've never met him, but one of the most focused people as I hear. <laughs> one of his quotes, he says this, he says, people just don't understand how obsessed I am with winning. He put that in his mirror every day. He says, I'm going to champion and I'm going to focus on that. Conor McGregor says, there's no talent here. This is hard work. It's an obsession. So I'm thinking if athletes are obsessing about things that are going to fade away, how much more should I obsess about things that are going to last eternally, right? Paul says it this way. I'm off and running. Philippians 3, 14 through 15. I'm off and running. I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us saying, I don't have it figured out. The, the, I've done the things I shouldn't have done. I thought the thoughts I shouldn't have thought, but the old is gone. The new is coming. I want all God has for me. Come on. Is there people in this place that want all God has for them? We need to start winning the battle in our mind, right? And this, we can't do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. And so I want to talk about three things in the next 10 minutes, three things that I believe that we need to constantly remind ourselves of, three things that we need to constantly set our mind to open up the door in our life, in our mind for these things. And I believe that there's three things that we need to take captive, three thoughts that we need to take captive. Pray with me real quick. Dear Lord, thank you for the people here. And Holy Spirit, I pray you, you speak through me in the next, these next 10 minutes that I believe that you gave me this message for a reason, that you will be able to speak to the minds of people, be able to speak to the hearts of people here. In your name I pray. 
Amen. Awesome. The first one I'm going to say, first point is this. Don't work for approval. Worship from approval. Don't work for approval. Worship from approval. I remember my freshman year, you walk into an unknown place, an unknown college. And I remember I struggled so much with anxiety and fear my freshman year. I remember I would spend months where I would get two, three hours of sleep every night because my mind wouldn't stop thinking about the things of this world. My mind wouldn't stop thinking about approval, how I wanted to get approval of other people and what other people thought of me. This is a real issue that we're dealing with. And this isn't something that's just the millennial generation. I know a lot of people talk about well, it's social media and you're, you know, that has to do with it, right? But it's not just the millennial generation that's dealing with this, focusing on approval and living for approval. This went back 2,000 years ago. I think about the story in John chapter 5. It's one of my favorite stories is Jesus rolls up to the scene and he sees this man walks through the sheep gate and walks to, he walks to the pool of Bethesda and he sees this man who's been crippled, who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And he looks at him and he says, hey, do you want to be well? And in that moment, he stands up, takes his bedroll and starts walking. He starts walking and Jesus leaves. And the first person this, this paralyzed man saw was a Jewish leader, a, a Pharisee. And the Jewish leader, his response, John 5, 9 it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. And this kind of makes you mad. Like this guy has been for 38 years, you know, that's a long time. He's been paralyzed sitting there for, for 38 years. Shouldn't you celebrate with this person? Right? But once you get to know what's in the Pharisees mind and the Jewish leaders mind, they were working for approval. Right? They tried to do everything they could for approval. They believed that they had to follow rules and regulations to be approved. And so that was their God above anything else. And so they see this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. He stands up for the first time and they're mad because, hey, that's against the rule. You shouldn't heal anybody on the Sabbath. Then I think about Jesus. Jesus knew he was approved. Jesus walked like he was approved. And this is how we need to walk every single day, that, that we are approved by God. So often the world is telling us that we're not good enough, that the thing we said, the thing we did isn't good enough, right? We, we begin to strive for approval, work for approval, but we need to worship God from a place of approval, knowing that God approves us no matter what we said or done. He approves us for who we are, not we, what we've done. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12 years old, and I love this story because we know Jesus was born, and we know when he was 30 to 33, but we don't really know much like, about anything in his childhood, his teenage years, right? We know one story, and he was, when he's 12 years old, and him and his parents, Mary and Joseph, go to Jerusalem, and they're celebrating a feast. They have fun. They do the thing. And then they start leaving back from Jerusalem to Nazareth. And Jesus decides to stay. Jesus decides to stay. And Mary and Joseph leave. And then a day later, they realize Jesus, their 12-year-old son, is gone. Right? Terrible parents, first off. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't, 
I don't know how that happens a day. Like that's from Minneapolis to Chicago, you're walking. That's the distance from Jerusalem to Nazareth. And you're walking in and finally you realize, oh shoot, it's a day past. And where's my 12 year old son? Terrible parents. But anyways, they realize that he's gone. So they, they begin to panic and they begin to rush back, trying to look for Jesus. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? They finally find him in the temple, right? The reason I love this story is why is this, Bible, this story in the Bible? It's like we know nothing about Jesus, Jesus except for this random story. There has to be something there, right? It's not just this story about Jesus being lost. I got lost when I was 12 years old at the zoo. I don't think I was 12 because that's pretty bad if you get lost at 12. I was, I was like eight. I get lost at the zoo because I'm looking at the gorillas and I'm fascinated and all of a sudden I can't find my parents anywhere. And then I look and I find somebody and eventually I find my parents. Point being, it wasn't a significant point in my life. Like I got lost, I found my parents, big deal. Like for me, so for me, it's like, why is this story in the Bible if we know nothing for 30 years about Jesus, but this story? And I believe that in the moment, Jesus makes a statement. Jesus makes a statement that the issue that we're dealing with still today is he walks, Mary and Joseph walk up to him and they're like, oh, we found you, son, we found you. Where were you at? And in Luke chapter two, verse 49, it says this. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. He was saying, tradition, he's gonna celebrate something here in a little bit, Jesus, and tradition's gonna tell him that he is the son of the law. You go through a ceremonial process and that's, you become the son of the law and you have to live, live and abide by the law, the Mosaic law. And in that moment, Jesus makes a statement because he walks up, his earthly father walks up to him saying, where were you, where were you? And Jesus says, shouldn't you have known I was in my father's house saying, you got the wrong name for me. I'm not son of the law, I'm son of God. That's who I am. And I believe that too many times in this life, we have the wrong name for ourselves, that we're striving for approval. We're, see- we're trying to seek for approval and we got the wrong name and we put it in our mind. It seeps in our heart and we begin to live out that, that lie. We begin to live out thinking that we are a son of anxiety son of alcohol, of, of drugs, of, of depression, of things that consume our minds and our, the enemies is saying the wrong thing to you. But in this moment, I want to say that you are a son and a daughter of God. In Mark chapter one, verse 11, it says, it says this, this is, this is God talking down to Jesus. He says, you are my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. You are a chi- his child. God loves you and he's pleased with you. That's stuff, that's something that you have to put in your mind every single morning because the world is going to be throwing everything at you. And even if you're so secure and you've been in this walk with God for many years, this is something that you have to put in the mirror every single day. This is the reticular activating system going back and forth, back and forth in the moments where you're insecure and you don't know what's going on. You got to say, I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. He's pleased with me. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what I've said. God loves me. Worship from approval. And one thing I love is when you worship from approval, you will walk in the anonymous and you won't bat an eye and you'll be looking at life and say, no one knows my name, I'm being overlooked, but guess what? I'm approved by God, so I'm gonna walk in the anonymous. That's what Jesus did for 30 years. No one knew who, who who he was, but he was the savior of the world, but he didn't care because he knew that he was accepted by the one who mattered, and that's Jesus. Second point. Got eight minutes so I can do this. 
Second point, don't live for the rules, love the relationship. Don't live for the rules, love the relationship. If I would have walked up to the Pharisees, right, this makes me angry. They see this 38-year-old guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years and they're not celebrating with him. I would look at him and say, you missed it. I said, you're so focused on your rules that you missed it. You blew it. But then I think to myself, this is very convicting for me because I think how often am I focused on the rules that I miss the person right in front of me? And it may not be rules that are set in stone, but it may be the rules that I've set for myself. That I need to get this job at this time, that I need to have this social status, that I need to have this, this many followers on Instagram, that I need to be married by this age, that I need to... You get what I'm saying? Many times we put rules for ourselves, and how often are we so focused on the rules that we forget about the relationship? For the last year, I've worked two jobs, one here, and a lot of, not a lot of people know this, but one here and one in an airport in Eden Prairie, random job, but I worked there for 12, 15 hours a week, and I remember there's been moments where I've been at work and I've been consumed with good things sometimes, and things of church, and I'm working, and I'm sending texts, and I'm doing the things that I think I should be doing, and then God speaks to me and saying, you're missing the point, Ben. You, I've got you here for a reason. You're working here for a reason. Yeah, those are good things that you're focused on, but you can focus on those later. But you have people that are lost right in front of your face. You have people that are broken right in front of your face and you're doing nothing about it. And for me, it's convicting because sometimes I'm so focused on the rules that I've set on my life that I lose my sight on the relationship. One thing Pastor Kirk said, one of the first messages I've heard him preach, he says this, he says, there's two types of people in a tragedy. I'll never forget this. I remember exactly what I, where I was sitting when he said this. One of the most powerful things I've ever heard. So there's two things that happen when a tragedy hits. Number one, or two types of people. Number one, it's the person that runs away. Think about Houston, right? It's a tragedy that's happening down there. The first type of person that's going to run away, he's going to save himself, right? He's running away. And then there's the second type of person, and that person is called a hero. And that person is going to say, you know, I don't care what other people think. I'm running after. I'm saving somebody. I'm getting somebody out of the water. I'm saving. And that's the way we need to live here at this campus. We've seen over 1,200 people give their hearts to Jesus. And it's not because of, of just a few people. It's because people take their every day, take their ordinary life and say, I'm not going to focus on the rules that I've set for myself, but I'm going to focus on the people that God has put in front of me because that's why we're here. That is why we're here at River Valley, Minneapolis. It isn't just to, just to pat ourselves on the back. It's to reach lost people. In Romans 12, 2, it says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, going to work, walking around, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has, God does for you is the best thing you can do for, you, for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. 
And I think, yeah, that's how, that's how revival is going to happen in this city. That's how people are going to be reached in this city. That's how we are adding another service. That's how more people are going to come to faith is by people that are broken, people that need Jesus, but say, hey, I'm not going to fix my mind on myself. I'm not going to fix my mind on my, the rules that I place myself, but I'm going to fix my eyes on what, who Jesus has me to reach. I want to fix my eyes on the, the city of Minneapolis. And it's going to take broken people like you and me to come and go to work and do the things that are mundane every single day to reach people. That's why we're here. Don't be so focused on the rule that you miss the relationship. Jesus did this amazing, right? He walked, he didn't care what people thought. He walked up to sinners. He walked up to lepers. He walked up to Pharisees and he healed them. He did what God called him to do. That's what we're here for. Don't be so focused on the rules that you miss the relationship. Third and final point is this. Don't strive for greatness. Sit in his grace. Don't strive for greatness. Sit in his grace. And I think this man before Jesus healed him, he's sitting there. Can't imagine how he's feeling. He's sitting there for 38 years And I can't imagine what's running through his mind, right? The hopelessness, thinking there's no way anybody can heal me. I've been sitting here for 38 years. And I believe often that can be the posture of our mind. That can be the posture of our heart. We're physically, we're fine and we're running around and we're doing the things that we feel like we should be doing. But in our mind, in our heart, we feel hopeless. We feel insecure. We keep believing time after time after time that we're not good enough. And Jesus walks up to this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And he says, do you want to get well? Meaning, he didn't say, hey, do you want to you start running, right? <laughs> That's an easy question. Do you want to start running? Well, yeah, I've been paralyzed for 38 years. Do you want to stand up? For the first time in 30 years, no, he said, do you want to be well? I mean, do you want to be well in your heart? And I believe that's what Jesus is asking us right now in this moment, no matter what our outside looks like, is do you want to be well? With your mind, what you think about, with your heart, what's in your heart. And we need to continually sit in his grace. That guy had no option. He couldn't stand up. But God was talking about his heart and his mind that he needs to sit in God's grace. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9, it says this. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about, all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me, right? That's saying the pressure is off. I don't know what you've been thinking in your mind that you're not good enough. You've been working for approval and not, you're not good enough and all these insecurities come to your mind. But reading that verse, the pressure's off. You're approved, right? And maybe you've lived life and, and you haven't been focusing on the right people and, and that's convicting to you. But God offers grace to you in this moment. 
And this is a door you can't open, right? So the title of my message is Open the Door. And these are the things that we can fill our mind with, the things of approval, things of, of people. We can open those doors every day. We can fix our eyes on this. But the door of grace, we cannot open that door. It's already been opened. And for, for those of you who don't know, Jesus was in heaven, came down to earth because he loved us so much, lived on this earth for 33 years. He died a criminal's death for you and me. And for those who believe, will have eternal life. So in this moment, I don't know if you've had the worst week of your life or the best week of your life in your mind where you've, you've let maybe the, the worst fears and the worries consume you. I don't know where you are in life, but just, I just want you to know the main thing to get out of this message is no matter what you've done, said, God's grace is for you. He is sufficient for you. Jesus is sufficient for you. So in this place, could you bow your heads and you close your eyes? When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the veil was torn in half, meaning it's an equal playing field. It means that everybody has access to the presence of God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says this, God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The door is open. So we believe at River Valley, Minneapolis, that if you declare with your mouth and you believe that Jesus is Lord and you believe that Jesus raised from the dead, then you will be saved. No matter what you've said or done, we believe that grace, Jesus' grace is for you. So if you want to make that decision, you feel just the presence of God in this room and you feel like maybe that's you, you feel like Jesus is knocking on the, the door of your heart, I would love for you to respond. One, Jesus said that I'm the way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Two, if you believe you're a brand new creation, that means that the old has gone and the new has come. You're not just an upgraded version of yourself, but you're brand new. If there's anybody in this place, raise your hand on the count of three. Three. Believe it. Want to make that decision. Yes, I see that hand. Awesome. Amazing. Amazing. God's grace is for you. Everyone pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I accept your gift. I accept your gift of grace. I accept your gift of new life. I believe in your name, Jesus. And I believe that your name is the only way to be saved. In Jesus' precious holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Can we stand up really quick? Can we celebrate the people that gave their hearts to Jesus in this moment? (laughs) 
Awesome. Well, for those who, who gave their heart to Jesus, we have this new, actually brand new, we just got it, brand new book, Now What? And it's really about your next steps in faith. And so it's a book, a, a little pamphlet, um, and then a Bible in here. We would love for you um, to take it. And also, if anyone needs prayer, we have the prayer team down here wanting to pray for you. So thank you so much for being at the 930 service. Stick around because we got Pastor Kirk preaching 11 o'clock.